Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, um, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning uh, as we continue our series in the Minor Prophets, just looking at what God has for us. And I just wanted to start, you might think, what are we doing here? I just want to start with an illustration. I'm a visual learner. Uh, and, and I want to use this container to, to just uh, illustrate something here. For the purpose of the illustration, this container represents your life. Uh, this is your life. And what, what I want to do is I want to fill it, because right, we, want, we want full lives, don't we? It's good and right to have lives that are full of good things, necessary things. There's lots of things we just have to do. But then enjoyable things, right? And so I want to fill this to the top. Not so much that I can't put the lid on it. We don't have too much to do. Uh, but uh, I want to fill that. And I'm going to fill it with these rocks that I got uh, from the creek yesterday. Uh, and so it's a bit like Tetris, really. I'm going to try and fit in as many as I can. 
because it's really it's really nice just having things to uh, to do and you're blessed from the Lord. Again, I don't want to overfill it. I don't know if I can fit another. Can we can we fit something else in our life? Yes, look at that. We squeeze something else in. I think if I fit any more in, it's going to overflow. So what we've got here, let's just say that fits. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty full life, right? Like I got more than one rock in, didn't I? Like there's a, there's a few in there, and it's quite heavy. Like that's a really good life. But you know what? There's there's actually plenty more room in there. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to keep filling it, right? Because uh, before I had children, I thought my life was busy. And then, and then I had children, and I realized, well, my life wasn't busy at all. I had all the time in the world. And so, actually, we've got, we've got more that we can add in to our lives. And I uh, just want to fill this to the top. just want to fill it all up. And let's just say that I have filled it to the top. Let's just say, because I have before, and you fill it to the very top. So you can still close things and it's like, whoa, man, I fit in way more than I ever thought I could. Like that's heaps more, right? Like you fill it to the top. But there's still more room, isn't there? Uh, Because our lives have great capacity. I'll vacuum that up later, Andrew. It's okay. Um, And so there's sand, right? We can put in, we've got the big rocks. We've got the little rocks. But look, what it's just just trickling down through those little cracks that are still there. And our lives, we just think, wow, there's just so much capacity, isn't there? And let's just say I kept filling that all the way to the, uh, to the end. We've got the big rocks. This is, this is our life. It's, it's, we have full lives. There's big rocks. There's little rocks. And there's sand. But there's still more room, right? Because we can put water in there. And it just washes down, doesn't it? It's like, whoa. And, uh, and just say, I'll stop there. Um, <laughs> uh, these are our lives, friends, have the capacity to be filled, don't they? Filled with good things, necessary things, and enjoyable things. But what if, what if I started to fill this container with the sand first? Could we still fit everything in that we have right now? What if I started with the, the little rocks or the water? We wouldn't be able to fit it in, would we? <laughs> We, we, like you, you need to start with the biggest things first. Put them in, and then everything else fits in around it. And it's the same uh, with our lives. That is, when we want to see what the priority is, what, what, what do we want in our lives, the biggest things have to go in first. And the biggest thing, friends, in our life is God, is it not? Like, like what's bigger than Him? Nothing. There is nothing bigger than God. So he needs to go in first. Because if we fill our lives with all these other things, we just we say, oh, I'll get God in there in a minute, but we fill our lives with all these other things, all the, all the sometimes very important and necessary things, but smaller things than God, we find very quickly that God gets squashed out, doesn't he? Just don't have time for him. And day after, oh, I, just, I really want to get into a better habit of this. I really want to make sure that I, I, I but it just, just get squashed out because of all the little things. You see, we actually need to, in our lives, put God in first. The biggest thing, our worship of Him. Just like, be still and know that I am Lord, Psalm 46, where He's like, whoa, God, I just want to just, just see you more clearly. Wow, you are majestic. Our worship of our understanding, but also our service of Him. We want to put that in our lives, right? Our service of Him is such a big thing. He's, he's our King. 
have that in the, 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 the schedule. And then our relationship with him as well. We need to plan these things and protect these things. And once we have God in first, in our lives, all the other things will just start to fit in around it, right? Well, we've got him in our daily routine, here he is. We've got him in our weekly routine, here he is. We've got him in our monthly routine, here he is. And then everything else is going to fit in around that once we have him in. And if anything doesn't fit, if anything doesn't fit, then God's actually going to help us do that. I'll be there for you. Or, that probably isn't that important. If it doesn't fit, because God's God, right? He can say, actually, I don't want that in your life. I don't want that to fit in your life. And, and, and he, can, he can say, no, no, just, just, just leave that one alone. You see, with what you put into your life, you're showing what is most important to you. With what you put in your life, you're showing what's, what you value above all else, what your, where your heart is, what you love. And the question is, is it God? Or is it something else? Because this is where Haggai is going to be taking us this morning. That's what Haggai is going to land for us about our priorities and where our heart is. And so just coming to this series that we're looking at, the minor prophets, man, they can be full on, can't they? The minor prophets, as we've seen week after week, they have a hard word to the Israelites. It's really confronting, isn't it, to hear judgment after judgment. It sounds very scary as well, the, the, the words that we keep hearing from the, from the prophets, how God feels about the Israelites and their sin. But interestingly, it never ends with that. Does it? The prophets, they never end with the hard word. There's always a word of hope, isn't there? There's always a word of love spoken to them from God. There's always a word of rescue and offer on the line there. And it's the same with Haggai this morning. We're going to see the same thing. And it's actually the same message to us today. That God has a hard message for us to hear, but also a beautiful word of hope and invitation. And so if you're following on the sermon outlines, uh, we're we're not up to point one because I cut that out uh, and we're up to point two, which is now point one, uh, which is God as our our number one priority in life, uh, verses one to 11. If you're not following the sermon outlines and you just want to follow the passage, uh, it's really uh, verses one to 11. And this is what the bulk of chapter 1 really is about, about God trying to say that he's the number one priority. But the Israelites forgot this, and they had made themselves their number one priority. Have a look at verse 2. You'll see see it coming out from here, verse 2. Haggai, verse 2, chapter 1, it says, This is what Yahweh, this is a very personal name, he's he's trying to just just relate to them here as well. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. These people say, this is the Israelites, this is what they're saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild Yahweh's house. This is not the time for that. And here's the context, right? The context is verse 1. Based on verse 1, we can know who, we, we see who the king is, and we see what year it is, what the date is. And so from that, we know that the Israelites have actually come back from exile. They've been in Babylon, in slavery, in exile for 70 years because of their sin. And God has been faithful to his promises and he's brought them back. And so they're back in the promised land now. And they've been back, based on the, the king in the year, they've been back for about 15 to 18 years. That's how long they've been back in the promised land for. And they're still saying, they're saying, um, 
yeah, but we don't actually need to pay any attention to God right now. We're going to get to that later. Now's not the time. We actually don't need to do anything about his temple. Now's not the time. We, we, we don't have to, like, that's, that, let's push that further down the track. And this is the problem that God is seeking to address. Have a look at verse 3. And the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai. This is what God says. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what Yahweh Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. What we're, what we're seeing here, what God is pointing out to the Israelites is this me-focused attitude. Well, they've returned to the promised land because of God's faithfulness to his promises, uh, and they've started to rebuild because it was just demolished. It was torn down. And so they start to rebuild, and rightly so, they, they, they go and they, they build their houses. But they're not just rebuilding their houses. <laughs> they're actually seeking to deck them out. These are luxurious houses. See verse 4, it says, it calls them panelled houses. They're seeking to live in comfort. They're like, how can I make it more comfortable? How can I make it more enjoyable? Says, I just want to keep working on my house. What's the next thing that I can do? What's the next extension? What's the next renovation? And then verse 9 here, you see, it says they have planted much. Like God is pointing out here that they have planted, right, that the food that they need to eat, like grains, but they've also planted the good stuff as well. They don't want to miss out on anything, right? They're like, yes, we've got the food, yes, we've got cows and milk and water, but we want the wine, man. Don't forget those vineyards. And so they go and they're planting the vineyards and they're planting uh, olive oil. And, and they're like, I'm not going to miss out on any of this. And season after season after season, they're just laboring over their homes and they're laboring over their fields. Just, I, just want to, I just want to be more, I just want to enjoy more. I just want to be comfortable more. Completely focused on themselves. You can see, right, like that, that God is pointing out, God's actually just trying to show them that, hey, your, your priority is no longer me. Your, your priority is yourself. They're actually neglecting, they're neglecting God and their worship of Him in order to live for and serve themselves. And what's, there's this weird thing, though. They, they still want a relationship with God in some weird way. Uh, they still see themselves as God's covenant people. But there's this great distance between them and God. There's an apathy toward God. That the, the relationship, there's a brokenness there. Uh, I'll illustrate it like this to try and help give just a, a clear picture of, of what's going on. Imagine a woman who's a wife finds out that her husband is spending uh, every evening having dinner with another woman. Uh, and, and so every night he, he goes, he has dinner, and they, for hours they just talk about their day, like the, what, what's been hard about their day and, and what's been good and what, what they enjoyed. And they, they talk about their hopes and their dreams for life and their future plans together night after night after night. And the wife finally confronts her husband about it. And he says, I, I don't understand why you're so upset. I'm, I'm legally married to you. I pay the mortgage. I do my duties. You have my name. You have my money. What's the problem? And the wife says, but I don't have your heart. I don't, I don't have you. <laughs> like, like you're somewhere else. Your heart is somewhere else. There's a problem there. Friends, uh, your time and actions and energies, they show where your heart is, don't they? 
This is what we're seeing with the Israelites. Their time, their actions, their energies, uh, they show where their heart is and it's not with God. They still want God's covenant blessings. They still want the gifts. You know, they're, they're seeking to get the gifts themselves, but they don't really want God. This is a simple case of gifts above the giver, which is the wrong way around, right? Uh, and so they're, they're elevating the gifts and, and they're dragging down the givers. So and we don't need to worry about you. And God knows that this is a heart problem that they have. That's why he's he's lovingly trying to tell them that. You have a look at what it says in verse 5. I don't know if you notice it says it twice in chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 7. It says, God says, give careful thought to your ways, which which literally in the Hebrew is set your hearts on these matters. Seeking to to engage their hearts again. He's he's lovingly trying to help them see, here's the problem, I want to help you fix it. And here's the hard word for us. It's the same message today for us. Asking the question, where is God in your life? Is he number one? Does he have your heart, your love, your affections? (laughs) Do you love him more than the gifts that he's given you? Like, what are your priorities? When we look at your life, what are your priorities? And to gauge where God is in your life, where your heart is, there's a good gauge in the verse. It's, it's verse 2, in the passage, verse 2, where the Israelites were saying about the temple, now's not the time. It's just, it's just not, I'm just not quite ready. Now it's just not... Is there... That's, that's a great gauge. Is there something in your life that you're saying that about? Now's not the time. It's not the time for that. There's something in your life that you're saying that about. As you think about it, I'm just going to give three examples that uh, I've just put in my sermon notes. Uh, The first one is evangelism, uh, because we know that we should be doing that. (laughs) Just like the Israelites knew that they should be rebuilding the temple but weren't, man, I know I should be witnessing my faith or sharing the gospel with others. We know this. And yet, are you saying, yeah, but I just don't know enough yet? I'm just, I'm just, I, if, I'll start doing it when I know more. Or I'm just not confident enough yet. I'm just going to wait for the relationship to be in a better spot before I do. Like now's not the time. Just now's not the time to be engaging in that. Or is it tithing? Now, we know we should be giving, right? It's a good thing to do. God doesn't need our money. It's a part of our trust and worship of Him. But, but are we saying, are you saying, uh, I'll give later when I earn more. That's, I, I definitely will, all right? That's, that's, he's got my heart, but I, I just can't give now. Or um, when things aren't so kind of like, you know, cost of living is really high, I wait for that to come down. Maybe, maybe that'll never happen, but um, just, uh, you know, when, when things are not so bad with expenses, then I'll give. Just now's not the time. Or maybe forgiveness. Is that something that you're saying now? Maybe maybe not even now is not the time. Are you saying like, I can never actually, I won't forgive this person. I won't forgive what happened there. I can never forgive. Or I'll only forgive if they do this. If this happens, then I will. Like, friends, there's just three quick examples, but helping us gauge, is there something you're saying that about where is your heart? Is it with God? Come what may, we're going we're to live for you, God. No matter what it means, we're going to say, yes, we're gonna, we're gonna, we know you, we love you, we're going to prioritize you. You come first. You want me to do this? I'm going to seek to do that. 
Or is your heart seeking to make your life more comfortable? Because to do any of those three things I just mentioned will make your life more comfortable. And we can avoid them. Just like the Israelites avoiding rebuilding the temple to try and make their life more comfortable, we can do that in our lives, can't we? I just want to gauge, this is the hard word that God has for us today. Where is your heart? Is it with God? Or is it with the gifts? Or something else? That, that, that's the first point. I just think Haggai really, the prophets, they have the hard word for us, right? And that's what he's hitting us with. That's what God's asking. Uh, what's your priorities? It's not me. Is it me? I want it to be me. And it brings us to the last point. Point uh, three on your sermon outline, but point two, really, in the sermon, uh, which I don't want us to miss, uh, God's amazing promises and faithfulness, verses 12 to 14, but also, really, chapter 2. Because we can't overlook this, uh, what's happening here in the text, what's really going on. Uh, And here's the question that I kept asking all week as I was reading through Haggai again and again and again, just reading it, saying, here's my question. Why does God want the Israelites to rebuild the temple? Why is he asking him to do it this way and now? Like, like is he just egotistical? Is he, is he, when you read the text, is he just saying, like, build it or I'll, or I'll take away every single thing you like. You build my temple now. I want it built. Is it just like that? Is that that's what people will accuse us of. Oh, that's what the Bible is, just this egotistical maniac. Is that what's going on here? And of course the answer is no, <laughs> of course not, not at all. Uh, the temple, at notice, never called the temple, it's called God's house. Do you notice that? It's always called his house. This is, this is personal. God is it's like, this is my house, you've got your house, this is, I'm among you, I'm with you, right? I'm, I'm, I'm here. This is a personal way of talking to them about the temple. He's like, I'm, I'm with you in this. So he says, the temple, why is he asking him to rebuild it? Why? Because the temple was the place where the Israelites would meet with God. You see, the temple in the Old Testament, they could go to the temple and relate to Him, into God's house, they could worship Him. But but as you read through the Old Testament Scriptures, when the temple was being built, God says, if you are sick, if you have some kind of injury and you want to be healed, come to the temple, present yourselves before the priests, and I will heal you. This is a place they could go and meet with God and find blessing, find guidance. Like it was a place where they could be blessed by Him because He would meet with them. And so why is God telling them to rebuild the temple? Man, it's because He is inviting them back into this relationship. It's like, I have more for you and I want more for you. Wow. Like He's saying right now the relationship is in ruin, but there is hope. Right now, you guys aren't, you've you've, you've sinned against me, you've ignored me, you've neglected me, but there's hope. Come back, rebuild the temple, and I will meet with you. And see how God is taking the first step? See how God's taking the first step toward a sinful people? Isn't he an amazing God? (laughs) Amazing God. And it's mind-blowing to me, considering their history, right? That they've sinned so badly before the exile, so, and God would send prophet after prophet that they would reject uh, and kill and put in prison and ridicule, that God had to put them in, say, okay, you didn't repent, I've, I've told you so many times, puts them in exile for 70 years, they come back because God's so faithful to His promises, He said it was going to be 70 years, and what do they do? They keep sinning, <laughs> they're just ignoring God. I don't, want to, I don't really want to do anything to do with you, God. Wow. 
in the face of that, God is offering them mercy and restoration for all who would take it. It's off, it's, it's, the offer is there for all who would take it. Isn't this an amazing God? And what we see in the passage is that they repent and obey and move toward God. They re- start rebuilding. And what does God do? So faithful to his promise. Verse 13, man, he says through Haggai, tell the people, I'm with them. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, you've come. He's there, faithful to his promises. And the people are filled uh, with and empowered by his spirit, moving their spirit. So they worship him in obedience, doing what they know they should do, prioritizing God, putting him first. And friends, I just want to say this offer, this promise and this offer is to you as well. This is not just to the Israelites and how God feels about them. This is to you. Chapter 2 really uh, brings this to life. There's this phenomenal promise that God makes to to fill the temple with His glory again. Chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you keep trusting me, you rebuild the temple, you put your trust in me, and actually I'm going to bless you with my presence like never before. I'm going to dwell among you like never before. My glory is going to radiate like never before. He says this new temple is going to be even greater than the last. And we know that the temple that he's talking about is Jesus. (laughs) Because Jesus shows up and in John chapter 2 verse 21, Jesus says, man, you tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it again, talking about his body. What we're saying, this is God's presence. He's saying my presence is now with you, among you. I've, I've, I've taken that first step again so that you can have a way back. I'm still inviting you to be with me, friends. Just like the Israelites after their sin, God is inviting you back to himself despite your sin. Because God knows the sins that you've committed in the past. And some of you are like, yeah, but what about the sins that I'm committing now? <laughs> like, God, God probably doesn't really want me now because I'm just struggling. Like, I just can't seem to get over this sin. Does he really still offer to people who just struggle with this? Yeah. Because it's not about you, it's about Christ. He's saying the offer is given through Him. The glory was His death on the cross and resurrection to new life for your sin. That's where He's saying that, that, that that's what it's based on, your salvation, not you, but Him. That's where His glory shines. Despite your sin, past, present, and even the future one, the, the invitation's still there, friends. God is saying, draw near and He has more for you. He will be with you and for you. For all those who come to faith through Jesus, that offer is there. Friends, I just want to finish by saying this. We have every good reason to put God first in our life, prioritizing Him daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever it might be, and then to live our lives the way He calls us to, because He is an amazing God who's faithful to His promises. Let's pray now, giving praise to Him for that. Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much uh, that it is true. And thank you so much that it's true for us, not just the Israelites back then, but that you, despite our sin, have made the first step and that you have brought about salvation through Christ for all who would take it. Lord, help us to see that you are worthy to prioritize, to put first in our life. We give you great thanks and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.